Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh, yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hello, everybody. Welcome to this wild card, wild card round recap edition of a good football show. I'm your host, Patrick Darty, joined by John Daigle and Patrick Corrine. We're going to be breaking down the entire wild card slate thus far, including the Bengals sending a message, the Bills sending a message, the Bucks sending a message, the Chiefs, you better believe, sending a message, and the Cowboys sending uh, a fax. Whatever happened in that game, we'll be talking about. Yeah, Still one of the more surreal things I've ever seen on a football field. It's kind of just like everything that happened in that game, but mostly the final play. And I'll just yeah, the real quick opening question. What was the most indelible moment of Wild Card Weekend, starting with you, John? That we don't need seven seeds in either <laughs> conference. I don't understand what we're doing. Uh, as both seven seeds, who are only there to profit, got blown out of the water by obviously teams that are much better than them and on a collision course for the division round against one another. We'll talk about that in a bit and later this week. But overall, it was just how bad the football was, really, uh, as we jammed too many playoff teams in here. So some some close games like the 49ers and Cowboys, that was not so much exciting close, but disastrously close in the end. Uh, but overall, yeah, it's the seven seeds. Not a good first year for the debut. Bengals Raiders is actually the second year, by the way, for the seven seeds. But oh, that's true. It, Bengals Raiders was okay. Uh, that was an okay game. The, the Cowboys was like the surreal game. It, Jago, it's not just the seven seeds. It's the problem is that it's seven seeds playing two seeds, and you know there's mm-hmm. no real way around that when you want to have a buy system, unless you want to go like a full one to eight, which no one would be happy about. But so it wasn't even just so much they're adding seven seeds. It's then you're adding seven seeds playing teams that would normally be having a bye. And that's what I mean by the first year doing that since we went to one bye this year. Uh, it's the fact that now these teams that otherwise would get a – No, it was also last year. Oh, well, that's not what I meant. <laughs> it's that Dangle. these teams that would typically be in first place, like the Chiefs and the Bucks. the fact that we have to watch Patrick Mahomes and Tom Brady on Wild Card Weekend, like that's not – that's not fair. This would be a good time this, to this mention. This playoff system is not indelible. Clearly. Yeah, say, this would be a good time to mention we're recording uh, near midnight. Yeah, we should start with that. Recording yeah. <laughs> Pat, do you have an indelible image from Wild Card Weekend, or should we just get into the games? Well, good quarterback play is fun. Uh, you know, I like that. And we did get at least some uh, the Patrick Mahomes explosion, the Josh Allen explosion. If, if we're going to have bad games, I, I prefer that style of bad games rather than the style where – the Cowboys are just like, oh no, we're down. I guess we're. I guess it's over now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the That's Bills no staked a claim to the best offensive performance in NFL history. 
since their seven full drives ended in touchdowns. And the only time they didn't score a touchdown was when it was the end of the half. And one of those was just like a kickoff they didn't return. And then the other one was a kneel down. So, yeah, I like that that kind of uh, blow. That, that was a good bad game, like you said. We got something historic. Right. We didn't just get teams fiddling about and being terrible. So, yeah, at least have the courtesy to do something historic. It's going to be a bad game, which – Let's just bring us to the first game. The Bengals outlasted the Raiders on Saturday, 26-19. to The Bengals' first playoff victory in over 30 years. Zach Taylor finished the job that Marvin Lewis started seven times. Uh, they finally exercised the Demons in the Queen City with kind of a strange performance, as always, from the Bengals. But I guess first we'll ask about the Raiders because the Raiders, they're like the ultimate just-happy-to-be-there playoff team, and – they came, you know, they came close to tying the game. It was an admirable performance from the Raiders, but this is like a team majorly in transition. And I'm just wondering, like, the first question I have of the Raiders, do you guys think Derek Carr will be back? And do you think Rich Basaccia will be back? Jake, I'll start with you. Do you think there's any chance they keep the best goatee in North America and Rich Basaccia? Or can not even the Raiders be fooled in? It's like that fool's gold, basically, in keeping what was a solid interim coach performance, but not something that should be a full-time job in the NFL. Although there were some questionable in-game play calling issues, I think Basaccia should at least be given an opportunity to come back and not like a faux interview, like a, an actual one. Since he did steal, and I understand the schedule of quarterbacks they played to close the year was a joke. Uh, and even Justin Herbert, like it took him to the wire, but they still won that one in week 18. But nonetheless, uh, I believe I want I hope he at least gets a an a offer. But for Derek Carr, I would imagine the writing's on the wall that he's gone, correct? Um, we don't think that they're going to continue moving on their franchise with him. I don't know. It's weird because, you know, it was one of his better seasons. You can get to the playoffs with him. You can probably win a playoff game with him. But the fact that we're so deep into the Derek Carr experiment and it's just so hard capped. Like if this was like year four or five, it is kind of a thing like you could do a lot worse than Derek Carr but it's like so definitively established that you can do better. It's kind of like this, how it gets with coaches sometimes where like Mike Zimmer at the Vikings, he was a good coach. He's a a really above average NFL coach, or at least he was for a while, but you reach a point where even if you're above that, you just, you just need to shake it up. You need to try something new. And the Raiders might be to that point with Derek Carr. If I were them, I would hold on for dear life. I, I think Derek Carr. I mean, what? So he's under contract next year. He's under contract for twenty twenty two. Yes, final year of his yeah. deal. So maybe if you're getting something like in like you're getting something very valuable in a trade, but I, you know, I, I doubt any team is really gonna go nuts to get like one year of Derek Carr and then they'll have to sign him to an extension. So you know, if you're, I mean, things can just the bottom can fall out on these franchises, and there's not really much going for the Raiders. You know, and the thing with Carr as well is that he didn't have Darren Waller for much of the year. Once Henry Ruggs was gone, he's dealing with like a, an offense that's designed around, you know, these these deep threats. But the deep threats are Deshaun Jackson and Zay Jones and Brian Edwards. And it's just it's just not really there for him, setting him up for success. And you see that he's going to Hunter Renfro all the time. Uh, and the, the offense, I think Basaccia – kind of experimented in some interesting ways where he he went really heavy three wide receiver sets for a couple games. That didn't seem to be working. Then he went like two and three tight end sets, went heavy personnel, started running a bit more. Like there seems to be a, some experimentation, some interest in trying to figure out different things that'll work. I feel like if you got them an offensive coordinator, 
because Basachi is a special teams guy. You know, maybe I I would be of the mind of keep Basachi, bring in like a young offensive coordinator that might have some ideas, get a deep threat in free agency that can actually unlock some stuff for Waller and Renfro. And you, you've got like enough there to maybe, you know, actually make a, a playoff run of some of some kind next year. And I just don't want to turn into the Lions if I'm them. It just reminds me so much of Andy Dalton's career path, really. For it's, true. Carr, yeah, it's true. He's, yeah. he's going to be in his ninth year, and everyone keeps saying, yeah, just put the team around him. It's like no one has a ninth-year breakout. Like, this is not how this works. And <laughs> but so, he, was, he I, was quite efficient and fairly accurate this year. So. Yeah, he's, I mean, he's fine, but at the end of the day, it's yeah, still Derek Carr. Right. Like, you're trying to win football games. You're trying to win the Super Bowl. Uh, and so playoffs. I understand you may regress your team by taking chances, but you want to take those chances to move on because you're trying to win. Uh, and that's not what Derek Carr does ultimately. You, but you've got him under contract for another year. The situation has to, to be re- perfect around him. Is the argument? Sure, but you've got you've got Waller already there. You've got like you've got pieces. You've got Jacob still under contract for another year, I believe. <laughs> Great. What? But I mean, like, why not? Yeah. Like, if you're gonna bottom out, bottom out in 2023 when Carr's not under contract. I'm not saying resign the guy. I'm saying you've that got him under like contract for one more and, year. And honestly, put, put like, some pieces. See if you can get something going. The rug situation clearly was out of their hands. Like came out of nowhere mid year. Yeah. Um, there's there's no way to adjust for that really on the fly. So they did what they had to. Um, but it just seems like a ninth year, like another year of doing this to get a, a three game MVP streak with Carr, where everyone thinks the Raiders will be a tremendous like playoff breakout candidates. And we, it just seems like we're gonna go through this stretch again. Well, you know, before Josh Allen, they said the third year breakout wasn't possible. So who's to say the ninth year breakout? Is impossible, John Daigle. At, at um, least before the whole Gruden fiasco, like even they had this going into this past offseason an offensive line. Like that was their strongest unit. And then they blew it up to make it worse, to rebuild it, even though it didn't need rebuilding. That was it, really strange. It had some contracts that needed to get reshuffled, uh, but to blow it all up and then to uh to go with guys now who we don't even consider like a part of their future, it's just the team as a whole, that's what I'm saying. I, I think it is time to move from Derek Carr, if only because there's a lot more work to be done beyond there. Well, but to the point about the offensive line, it was clearly time to move on from John Gruden and stuff like that hopefully won't be happening anymore. You know, maybe you could have a, a better offseason that doesn't involve completely just sort of swapping out the offensive line in a way that doesn't improve it. We'll, we'll see how much Mike Mayock has we'll see, yeah. thing. We'll see who we'll see who is driving the train, or they can only draft Clemson team captains now that John Gruden is out of the Raiders front office, and we'll we'll see Mayock unleashed. And but you guys both, I mean, like I was like when you guys were talking, I was immediately like, well, yeah, I was probably too harsh on Rich Bisaccia, who did a really good job under extremely adverse circumstances. Definitely one of the best interim coaching jobs in NFL history. You just don't want to get into. Freddie Kitchensing yourself. But Craig, you made a really interesting point about that. We're like, like they were adjusting like a lot and they weren't adjusting just for the sake of adjustment. But like, you're, you're right. They weren't like sticking with things that weren't working. They were like just cycling through and like an orderly fashion, just trying to find something that worked. And they finally found something that worked uh, crazily after Darren Waller got hurt. But as we know, I mean, they won all those games by two or three points. And one of the worst point differentials. No, but I, I agree. You can't just like, they're not going to cut Derek Carr. That would make zero sense. You can maybe get a second round pick for Derek Carr, like one second round pick as a one year rental, maybe. Yeah, I know. It's true. You they made should the just playoffs keep. with them. 
you could make the playoffs with him again. And I, the thing I like about keeping Basachi, if you're, if that's the plan is that like, he doesn't have a set philosophy, you know, like John Harbaugh's a, a special teams guy and you see like, he's got, he's got Lamar Jackson. He brings in Greg Roman, you know, he had a Joe Flacco quarterback. He built an offense around Joe Flacco. Like, it, and it doesn't seem to me like Basachi has got like really hard and fast ideas about how the offense would be run. He's open to, to try different things. That to me is a, a positive sign. I, I think Diggle's exactly right. The by far the most likely outcome is that they're like this or worse next year. <laughs> but I just yeah. feel like your your hand isn't very good, uh, and you're actually in a position where you could, as long as you like co- like set up set up the contract so that you're not getting into 2023 stuff. You can basically like just you got kind of a free roll at 2022. See what happens if that bottoms out. The problem is that like. Everyone's probably getting fired if that happens. So, I mean, from like a saving your own job personnel, maybe yeah. no one wants to do that. If I owned the Raiders, I think I'd be, that would be my preference. I will say they should fire Rich Passaccia if they can hire Jim Harbaugh. And Jim Harbaugh could be a disaster of a, re- a retreat. He's almost 60. He wore out his welcome like big time the last time he was in the NFL. He was basically like Urban Meyer, who, except for he actually won games. <laughs> like he just burned people out. That's why Jim Harbaugh was let go despite being so successful but i, I do think they that would be probably worth a shot for the raiders you know we're, we're going to talk a lot about the Bengals this week especially on our preview show later this week but just my one question with the Bengals is like do we trust them to open up their offense against the titans in the divisional round are they going to try to meet the titans in the mud you know where the titans want to play this game or do we have enough faith in zach taylor and the Bengals offense after the stretch run and the wild card round, that they will actually play to their offensive strengths. Or yeah, are they going to let themselves get sucked into a bully ball game next weekend? I think there's a good chance they get sucked into a bully ball game. They're, they're quite willing to, they don't seem to push it. They understand that the strength of their team, I think is through, you know, Burrow passing the ball more than, you know, most teams pass the ball. But at the same time, when they get a lead, they seem to want to, you know, and, and there's reasons for this. The offensive line stinks. Burrow's always getting harassed. Like he's always, you know, he's taking a lot of hits, so they're trying to protect him. But, you know, at the same time, the Titans are a type of team, if Henry's back to what he was before the injury, I mean, they're a type of team that can score quickly by still being run heavy. So, you know, it's a, you don't want to let the Titans hang around. Yeah. That's what it's going to come down to is what kind of player Henry is returning as after foot surgery. Uh, and I'm still questioning if he's good to go, but I guess we'll find out if he even gets activated, how many touches he'll have. I'm sure we'll find out more in the news tea leaves along the way. I will note, and this is spoiling for the preview show, but I'll say it anyways right now. Do it. Uh, Jamar Chase had a season high, 35.2% target share on Saturday. And if you exclude week 18 when he played the minimal time with Brandon Allen to chase the rookie records, he's actually quietly put together three consecutive starts with double-digit targets and a 29% target share leading the team in that span. So he is actually emerging as the true number quietly. one. Over T. Higgins. I mean, no, it is quietly because, you know, T. Higgins (laughs) is still even the projections and Jamar Chase is just uh, usurping them every single week. I'll say real quick. So Daigle's spoiling some preview show stuff. Crane, I don't think you're on the preview show this week, so you need to leave it all in the field if you've got any nuggets. Like Jamar Chase. Yeah, so leave it all in the field. You you can now say a stat like Jamar Chase had a 29% target share his last three games. (laughs) <laughs> well, you're saying that I would include week 18 in the meaningless game that I covered and knew was meaningless? Okay. <laughs> no. What I'll say is that in these uh, tournaments and everything, Jamar Chase is wildly owned compared to T. Higgins, who's coming in at like 9% of rosters, and, and Jamar Chase is the most popular play on the Bengals. So 
I, I think that uh, people are people are well aware that Chase is going off, but he, I mean, he is he's incredible, you know. And I and I really Pretty do good. hope that they. The fact that you have a guy like Chase who's dominating target share, I mean, that's pretty wild that he's getting that kind of target share alongside not just T. Higgins, but Tyler Boyd. CJ Ozoma got got work. That you know, Mixon's not a nothing in the passing game. And, you know, to still be to have that connection with Joe Burrow, he's got that back shoulder connection with Joe Burrow. It's just unstoppable. So I mean, it is it it's the type of thing where just it makes you hope that the Bengals don't try to get too cute here. Like if you have a chance to just beat the Titans with something, it's I think an unstoppable when they get it going. This they passing are. attack, they actually are. Uh, just do it. Uh, yeah. Zoma actually has six, at least six targets in five of his last six games, so he's actually been leaned on a little more in the home yep. stretch as well. I gotta say that T Higgins snowflake emoji on DK that that didn't do me good over the weekend. Didn't do me. Didn't his first good. catch come in the One third bit. quarter. Yeah, I was like the third or fourth quarter. Ordering. Yeah, didn't do me good one bit. And but I just but I think it's curious that you guys think the Titans can return generational talent Deontay Foreman to the bench if Derrick Henry comes back. But I, I was guess, a big Deontay Foreman guy coming out. I know. Where he tore his Achilles, I, I thought he was going to be awesome. It's it's the year of Deontay Foreman, Jared McKinnon. It's uh, true, man. McKinnon, we'll have to get we're we're sure, Penny. Uh, we're also we're also looking for the Joe Mixon injury. Uh, since we don't know the extent of it, we'll see how it plays out throughout the week. So I said the Bengals exercised the demons. The Bills exercised the few they had remaining from their week 13 humiliation by com- finishing the job they started in week 16 with the Patriots. Josh Allen put the team on his back in week 16, and then he just blew the Patriots out of the building on Saturday night. 47 to 17. Like we said earlier in the show, touchdowns on all seven of their drives, setting up a colossal divisional round showdown with the Chiefs. We'll touch on the Bills in a little bit. Like you said, we're going to get more into the Bills and the Chiefs game later this week on our preview show. But with the Patriots, I'll ask what's probably an unfair question about Mac Jones. But I did this game, I wrote up this game, and in my like season ending blurb, I said, you know, Mac Jones, pretty great rookie season. Uh, he's going to probably at the very least finish out his rookie deal with the Patriots. But do you think, is it fair to say Mac Jones might already be close to his ceiling where you still have like, you know, like limitless untapped potential probably with guys like Trey Lance and Justin Fields guys who could take like a, at least have the athletic profile to take like a Josh Allen step forward at some point in their career. But do you, do you think Mac Jones is already close to a finished product? I believe they barely, in my opinion, opened the playbook for Mac Jones this year, slowly, intermittently, like put him into the game plan. And so, no, I think there's still a lot to be left discovered. Now, in terms of should he win rookie of the year over Jamar Chase? Like, no, no. no because Mac Jones is the product of a bad quarterback class, or at least an undeveloped one. So he was the best rookie quarterback, but only because if you look at everyone else, like Trevor Lawrence, Trey Lance, who didn't even play, uh, list goes on, uh, Justin Fields as well under Matt Nagy that Mac Jones was the best one by default. So, no, I, I think it still should be Jamar Chase. But overall, no, I think you have to be very, very excited about what you saw in year one of him and think his ceiling can get a lot higher. Yeah, and I would I, – I completely agree that Jamar Chase is, is the rookie of the year, but I don't even think it's fair to say that he want, that he was the best quarterback by default. I mean, in some ways he was, but he earned it to a degree because he was so accurate. His accuracy yeah. in completion percentage over, over expected was excellent. Throughout the entire year, he did – crater against Miami and he had a bad stretch to close the season uh, and then obviously you know not competitive against the Bills so we kind of leave leaves a bad taste in our mouths but 
what he showed, I think, is very promising. And, you know, to Dago's point, they can open up the playbook. They can open up the play style as well. I mean, this is a very run-heavy team. This is a team that's, like, really got one gear. And if the a team can take them out of their gears, the Bills certainly did. It's like, okay, the Bills – and the Bills were totally wise to what the Patriots are doing. The third time they played them, you know, they lost to the Patriots the first time they played. That ball control style actually worked given the extremely yeah, windy conditions. Huge but, QB win for Mac Jones in that game. <laughs> three dropbacks, but yeah. yeah. But, uh, but uh, you know, but that gear that they were using, it, it it did work. But once you were able to push them out of that script, they they had no counterpunch. I think that type of stuff should change going forward. And, you know, yeah, he's a pocket passer, but he's a pocket passer with really strong accuracy. And we'll see if he improves as they put more on his plate not just next year, but like year three, year four, year five. I mean, you see some of these pocket passes, they don't peak for a while. So I think that if I was a Patriots fan, I'd be pretty pretty excited about, you know, like the journey you're about to go on. It's probably going to – you're probably going to feel like it's moving too slowly, but I think in like three years, like it, this offense will be pretty capable with Mac Jones. And, and to be honest, they don't have any playmakers. You know, the running backs are pretty good, but, but put some playmakers around them. That's like a big thing. Too. And you, that you, it gets dangerous when you start praising – players for like what they don't have like well he didn't even have a good supporting cast and he still posted these decent numbers but they just had no playmakers and you know that was vividly demonstrated Saturday night where the Micah Hyde interception the one in the end zone that was a good play by Micah Hyde mm-hmm. but Nelson Aguilar could have maybe caught it or broke it up and like that was just kind of like emblematic of how the Patriots skill core was all season they're like just like the definition of like league average players across the board. Nelson Aguilar is a league average deep threat. Jacoby Myers is like a league average compiler chain mover. Kendrick Bourne's like a league average number three or four receiver who can make tough catches. It's, it's like pretty tough in the red zone, but you know, isn't like a number, probably even a number two receiver. Hunter Henry, maybe just too worn down physically finally appeared and he didn't miss a game this year for the first time in his career, but you know, he's nearing 30. He's been injured so much. He didn't look like the same player he was early in his career with the Chargers. And Jonu Smith, like, just on a milk carton. I just one of the – do you, you guys remember off the top of your head what Jonu Smith's contract is? Can either of you take hazard a guess at what Jonu Smith's contract is? I would guess. Any, well, because I saw that he – I think I saw it, uh, but so much happened since I saw it. This does feel like a true guess. But I think – isn't he due like $9 million next year? He is, and it's fully guaranteed. He signed a four-year $50 million deal and included $31 million guaranteed, and he posted oh under God. 300 yards receiving. And this was – this was his lowest cap hit in the next three years, 5.6. Yeah. Yes. Uh, next year, it jumps up to 13.6. Yes, you are correct. Uh, at yes. least <laughs> in like the Nikhil Harry pick, at least they've shown they won't, they don't mind taking chances on offense in early rounds with high draft capital. Uh, they were also heavily rumored to be in the Devonta Smith mix if he failed to 15 overall this past year. But and adding playmakers, like, you have to wonder if they think they've already done that. Like since they paid so yeah. much to Nelson Aguilar and Kendrick Bourne and Hunter Henry and Joni Smith, like was that their definition of adding playmakers? I think that John, they'll keep investing in the offense. I think they'll trust Bill Belichick's defense to coach up people and find gems on defense and that they have the quarterback on the rookie contract still. There's no way they can like be truly satisfied with what they got out of that free agent spending spree. So I, I do think the offense will be, another like a big time focus and a a big time investment focus for the Patriots in the draft and free agency. 
Yeah, and like Bourne, I mean, they've got guys who Bourne is good. Bourne is a very good NFL player. He, he'd be yes. a very he's a very good number four option. And yeah. so is Hunter Henry. He can maybe be a number three. And and so is Jacoby Myers. They're all like, you want them number three or number four. It's like who are the number one and number two guys? I mean, they don't have a number one or number two guy on the team right now. I mean, Nikhil Harry might have that ninth year breakout. Actually, uh, I think it's his. Well, ninth he might year be a tight end. Year. Let's let's convert yeah. him. It's <laughs> a good point. Maybe he can take Johnny Smith's role. <laughs> yeah, ninth year tight end breakout for I believe third year pro Nikhil Harry. Uh, it's gonna feel like a ninth year breakout. The Cordell Patterson it. story. Yeah. Uh, again, we're gonna preview the Bills later this week. Just I can't even overstate how big the Bills. Chiefs game is going to be in the divisional round. But my one very leading question, I don't even know where I'm trying to go with this. Will there be too much Bills hype this week, folks? Or well, are we going to get too excited about the Buffalo Bills? I'll start by saying that if you're listening to this early Monday morning and there's still dogs at your local sports book, you should probably grab that number because it's <laughs> going to di- it's going to disappear very quickly. You mean they're still if you're the, if you're if they are still favorites, you mean, right? No, Bills are two and a half point dogs. You think it's going to get bet to the to where the I Chiefs are dogs? I think it's going to be bet to even. Yeah, I'm telling you, the Bills hype is going to be out of control. So Dago's buying into my narrative. Uh, I think it's already at two. I think it's already gone down half a point. The like Chiefs gonna, the other two oh, points wow. right. really right quickly because it's 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 a coin toss. It should be a coin toss too. Uh, it's two different offenses from the last time we saw these two teams play, especially the Chiefs. So I think it is like closer game than we think, but also like. I, yeah, I don't think it should be two and a half point dogs at all. Like the Bills just already showed what they did. That wasn't a football game against the Patriots. That was a crime scene. That was the crime scene of high. What is it called? High High Bank Stadium. Uh, like high Mark. Had, Come on, man. High Mark. That's it. High Come on, Mark. man. They had to outline Patriots players in chalk before they walked <laughs> off the field. Buffalo scored on each of its first seven possessions. They didn't commit a turnover. They didn't punt for the second consecutive matchup against the Patriots, and they didn't attempt a field goal. Josh Allen finished with more touchdowns than incompletions, and for the fourth game in a row, he wasn't sacked at all either. Like, that was that was not a football game, but in a fun way, like, that's the way blowouts should be. Like the Patrick Mahomes game, that was fun football. Uh, a team that clearly, like, grew up in front of her eyes, and they're last matchup before this one against the Patriots and going for it on fourth down and being aggressive and trying to win. Like that's the team we saw that wasn't scared at all on, on Saturday night. So what they do now in their rematch against the chiefs, uh, I would imagine it's not the AFC championship rematch from last year in which they were kicking field goals and arrowhead. I would imagine they'd be aggressive and try to win. It's going to be incredible. Well, and to Daigle is the, the AFC championship game last year was really kind of like the prelude to that first Patriots game this year where the Bills, right, it finally caught up to them that they, not only that they didn't run, but they just like didn't have a run game concept. They had like no philosophy for the run game. They just like didn't have a coherent run game approach. You know, they're going from a three-man committee one week to a two-man committee one week. They're healthy scratching guys one week, healthy scratching someone different the next week. Like They didn't even have like an offensive line combination fully settled on. They just did not – have a coherent run game philosophy that burned them in the AFC championship game last year. Cause that's where the chiefs were vulnerable. And then in the week 13, it was just laid bare. And then after that, it's, it's not like they became like a run first team, but they just got like so much smarter about how they were running the ball committed to Devin Singletary. It's been working so much better. They finally have like a backup plan, a fallback. So they don't have to pass every single play. And again, they're not, it wasn't like they just like threw the car in reverse and like, we're running on first down now. They, they haven't been playing like that 
that was just such a turning point and something like elite teams do is they they made the corrections they needed to after week 13 they, they just look it's hard not to feel like the bills are the best team in the afc right now and i think another thing that smart teams do it's you know they kind of use some of the regular season to to like get that stuff in order and yes. to experiment a little bit. I mean, the stuff in retrospect, it's like, okay, they're trying to see if they've got anything with Matt Breida. And it's like, well, maybe we don't actually like, let's, yeah. you know, it's actually, nope. it's nope. just gotta be Singletary. So <laughs> let's, you know, let's see how, you know, let's kind of go a little bit more run heavy. We're not going to just like unleash Josh Allen in like a meaningless bad weather Atlanta game. You know, they're kind of, they're kind of playing a little bit more conservative towards the end of the season there. And then, the question is, and with football, you, you never really know because you think that logically a team should do X and then they often do Y. But the Bills, logically, it's like you should do what you did the second time against the Patriots and just go super pass heavy, force them out of the only thing they can do. And sure enough, the Bills do that and they do it to perfection. And so now you're like, OK, they, they understand, like they truly get like how how their team beats teams most they- efficiently. They started their optimal personnel too. Uh, Gabriel Davis and Isaiah, Isaiah McKenzie started over Sanders and Cole Beasley. Gabriel Davis right. ran more routes than Sanders as well. Like that is their most explosive personnel, and they did that. They even like tried to keep McKenzie on the field in intricate ways. Like they gave him three snaps as three a running rushes, back, yeah. yeah, as a D, as like a Debo Samuel as well. So like they know finally, you know, it took eighteen weeks, but they know who their best players are, and they are absolutely get them involved. Yeah, Cole Beasley yeah, and- seventeen snaps. Beautiful. McKenzie looks great too. I mean, so much burst. Like there's, you know, compared to the type of plays that he's making on the same routes that that Beasley was getting, it's a big difference. We we probably are just going to continue underestimating the Tennessee Titans until they like win the Super Bowl or something. But yeah, no offense to the Titans. It feels like whoever wins Chiefs Bills is going to win the AFC. It feels like this is the AFC Championship. Yeah, this yes. is the de facto AFC Championship game. But then again, remember the the Titans beat these teams already. I think so. Didn't they beat both these teams? Yeah, they beat both these teams already. <laughs> well, let's not rule out the Bengals here either. I mean, the Bengals beat now the Chiefs, not. and, uh, and okay. if they if they, I mean, the bigger concern for me with the Bengals is the Titans in a sense because if the Titans don't push the Bengals and the Bengals kind of fall into that trap, that's a problem. But we know the Bills and Chiefs will push the Bengals, so now you've got the shootout going. Obviously, it's hard to beat. The Chiefs or the Bills, they're both excellent teams. But that's what I want to see. I want to see the Bengals going total pass heavy. We're getting a, the, the Chiefs rematch or another Bills shootout. Well, it's my Titans thought is it's kind of crazy that the best Bill Belichick disciple was actually like never on his coaching staff. Mike Vrabel only played for Bill Belichick, but that dude is really it's sometimes you it's like he's such a football guy. They're like, can this guy really be a football genius? But He's just like a football genius. He's so, so well organized. He's like Belichick or Harbaugh where he like knows the rule book like inside and out. He's so good at situational football. And like the kind of guy that you really don't want to be coaching against in the playoffs. Remember, he did the thing where he like triggered Belichick real bad two yeah. years ago with like the penalty runoff thing. And he he's like he's just an elite, elite coach. And uh, he's the best Bill Belichick disciple, Mike Vrabel. In a game that Fox's Troy Aikman made it clear he didn't want to be calling, the Bucks sleeper held the Eagles 31 to 15 and advanced to host the winner of Cardinals Rams in the division. You know, no offense to Troy. I mean, he, he's a cowboy. He wanted to be in Dallas. It was the game of the day. Everyone knew that. He, he's lucky yeah. he wasn't. Yeah, he was yeah, I know it's true. <laughs> he would have probably been, yeah, he's a professional, but he would have he would have probably been a wee bit upset. But yeah, he, he literally said on air that he didn't want to be there, be there at the end. 
<laughs> so it was pretty, I mean, which, you know, fair play, fair play. It was a horrible game. And so I'll start with kind of like the Derek Carr question for the Eagles, but it's totally different because he's a young player in Jalen Hurts. Like, I thought people were going a little too far, piling on Jalen Hurts on Twitter on Sunday. But, but Jalen Hurts, he's like a weird conundrum. So, like, teams need more Jalen Hurtses. Like, if you don't have a real franchise quarterback, you need to, like, think outside the box. Like, you don't want to just keep falling into, like, the stupid, like, Mike Glennon traps. So that's what the Eagles did with Jalen Hurts. You know, he's not an amazing passer, but he's such a good rusher. He's an unorthodox option. So when he when he's not going well, it looks so bad. It's, like, so unesthetically pleasing. But I thought people was kind of getting carried away with the Jalen Hurts hate on Sunday and, like, not acknowledging – like his like unique talents, but I don't know what you think. Should the Eagles, should they just give it up with Jalen Hurts? Is there not another step for him to take as a passer or should he get another year in 2022? It all comes back to what they do with their draft capital. They pick at 15, 16 and 19 this upcoming year, three first round picks and the direction they choose to go. The world is pretty much the Royster because you can bring Hurts back, keep on the rookie deal build around him, see what happens and then move on the following season. But also we know they're going to be, quite a few quarterbacks, whether they're free agents or not, up for grabs. So uh, you could bridge with a veteran. Like we expect Kirk Cousins, Matt Ryan, like likely to play on other teams. You could also go with a rookie. You could keep Hurts around. And remember, whenever the Texans had the deal in place to send Deshaun Watson to Philly before he negated it, since he has a no-trade clause, uh, Hurts actually wasn't a part of that deal go to Houston. They were just going to get the picks. And so I, I just wonder, I still don't think we know exactly how the Eagles front office values Jalen Hurts just yet. No, we don't. And they waited so long to give him any public commitment. Like Nick, Nick yeah. Sirianni finally in like week 13 was like, yeah, I like Jalen Hurts. He, he put on like a Jalen Hurts t-shirt that he made. And it was like, it was in December. It was the first time all year that he acknowledged like <laughs> Jalen Hurts might be good at quarterback. So yeah, we have not really gotten much of a commitment from the Eagles yet to Jalen Hurts. Yeah. I mean, I, to me, compared to like some of the veterans that you'd have to bring in on veteran contracts, you'd rather have Hertz on the rookie deal. You know, what's he, he's a second year player, so you're getting uh, another two years of of the really cheap deal. I think you you try to build around to Daigle's point. You got the draft capital, bring in some free agents, see what you can do. You made the playoffs with him. I don't think they really maximized him this year. My bigger concern is is Sirianni really the guy? Like. I never really understood why you're bringing in a guy who's, to your point, never committed to the quarterback. Like, why wouldn't you want someone who's going to commit to this style of quarterback? Well, he did eventually. It took the Bucks game, you know, where they were just like hitting their head into a brick wall over and over and over again. Like, like, sorry, bro. Like, this isn't going to work. Like, you're going to yeah. have to go run heavy. And that's like the trap, though. Like with Jalen Hurts, we're like, I feel like I feel like you can't just make like a year to year commitment. To Jalen Hurts at this point because like Daigle said they have three picks from 10 to 20 and like if you have three first rounders we like it's like a turning point in your franchise histories like they need to decide now if they're gonna go like run heavy like try to like zig with the bully ball while everyone's like or zag with the bully ball is like as we kind of have reached like the zenith of the passing era like are they gonna become like the forefront of like recommitting to the run so I just feel like they kind of ha- actually do have to like to decide this well, off season if you get offensive line help and you get, um, I guess, you know, yeah, maybe some hurt, receiving yeah. help like that, that helps whoever you bring in next. So yeah, I would continue to build around Hertz with young, you know, young talent up front and some additional receivers. I mean, Devonta Smith can play. 
Dallas Goddard can play, but Jalen Rager cannot play. And Quez Watkins is like fine. You know, he's like a, he's like a solid like kind of depth deep threat. But you need some additional players there. I mean, every young quarterback like you see with Burrow. I mean, if you if you can just load a guy up with a ton of excellent weapons, it makes a big difference. So that's the, I think the move. And then if you ultimately are able to trade for a quarterback later, or you end up going into the draft and getting a quarterback later on, you know, then that quarterback set up for success. So with the cheap contract, you're, you're kind of in a, a pretty decent position, but I do worry, you know, with Sirianni, because yeah, you, you look at compared to Hertz and Lamar Jackson, Hertz was just behind Lamar Jackson and EPA per play this year. Lamar Jackson didn't have his best year, but when he's like in the Lamar Jackson ballpark as a Lamar Jackson type of player, it's hard to say like, he couldn't have a better season than this. I mean, we we would definitely expect Lamar Jackson to have a better season. I think Lamar Jackson's better. But, you know, Jalen Hurts, if he can get some of the inaccuracy stuff under control, and that's what we saw today that was just so bad. Like, he's throwing high constantly. It looked terrible. A lot. But if he can get some of that a little bit better as he develops, then the rushing ability, and if they're coaching to maximize it, I think I think you have something there. The concern is that those issues and inaccuracy, like that's what he carried over from college. So that's kind of the player right. he's always been. And so I, I don't think you improve those traits necessarily. Uh, and t- to your point, you would need a intricate play caller to be with him. And yes, right. I don't think Nick Sirianni's the guy. They tried to hang on to their identity today against the Bills, against the Bucks, but it just doesn't matter whenever you still punt in your first two possessions, you look up and you're down 14-0 to the to the Bucks passing defense that got back Levante David and Shaq Barrett. It's like you don't have a chance then. So that game they weren't was playing out of to hand. win. That, Sirianni had a bad game. So that game, that game was out of hand by the first possession. Sirianni surprised me in the second half of the season where he really did just unveil – he got like Greg Roman. He, un- he unveiled a totally new offense on the fly – but yeah, he had a really, really bad game Sunday. And, and yeah, the to your point, the Jalen Rager screens are equivalent to Carlos Hyde runs up the middle. They they have to be the least of they have to be the least efficient play in all of football. Uh, I even on a rookie deal, I genuinely wonder if Jalen Rager is even back next year. Well, they've kept JJ Arcega Whiteside. That's yeah. Okay. So. Taken, he'll be back. He'll be back. He'll be back. <laughs> Plus, like you have to you have to take the. Justin Jefferson decision all the way down to the fourth year. You're like, yeah, true. I'm not just, going to take the L on this. No just, keep, me up. just keep sinking that cost, man. Uh, <laughs> real quick with Jalen Rager and the punts, by the way, like the Zoomers, they got to learn how to return kicks, man, because Peyton Barber, Chris Evans, Jalen Rager had some of the worst punt and kick returns I've ever seen in my life this weekend. We, we got to teach these Zoomers how to return kicks because that was a bad look. As they might well, say. Don't try to catch them in the wind. When yeah, yeah, no. wins, what are you doing? Jalen Rager, man. I mean, just, I'm, I'm sorry to Jalen Rager. Like, again, Jalen Rager, obviously, I mean, like, I'm just like a punk blogger. He's a world class athlete. Jalen Rager needed to be gotten off the field on Sunday. Like, he, he was he a detriment to his team. And it's unfortunate, but yeah, that was not good. Again, we're going to preview the Bucks later this week. They're playing either the Rams, Cardinals. My question is this, are the Bucs too compromised to truly contend at this point? One of their biggest strengths all year have been their offensive line continuity. One of the only teams with no injuries, you get two injuries, Ryan Jensen and Tristan Wirfs on Sunday. And are they getting too compromised to truly contend, the Bucs? Well, I mean, not, you know, Arians, if once Wirfs is out and they ask him what happens if the backup can't play anymore, and he just goes, he's going to have to play. That's it. He's playing. <laughs> <laughs> 
So they'll, they'll be fine. They just, hey, which is true. But, uh, you got you, you to appreciate the honesty. Yeah. Every, right. every time Aries asks a question, whether anyone likes it or not, he's always honest. He's getting yeah, bull rushed by honest. Ryan Kerrigan. That was not good. Um, but yeah, yeah, I mean, are, are we, can Tom Brady Houdini out of this or they can they just not hang at this point? Just the injuries on you know every level of the offense at this well, point. We'll see what happens, what their offense becomes. Uh, we have to know if they're getting Leonard Fournette back. Uh, this was the third game all year that Mike Evans reached a 27% target share, led the team with double-digit targets. I would imagine he can sustain, if not go even higher uh, in this next game. But overall, like Tyler Johnson is not an answer for as much of a specimen mm-hmm. as he is. And if targets in the NFL are still very much earned, and he just doesn't earn them, and he's not explosive at all. Uh, Rashad Perryman still popping up here and there, but – clearly not a Chris Godwin or Antonio Brown talent. So they're still looking around really for answers. And today they got it through Gio Bernard and Keyshawn Vaughn, who played 36 snaps each. Uh, Bernard only ran three more routes than Vaughn, but still ended up earning five more targets. and did look, did look spry compared to what he was prior to his injury. But overall, uh, relying on them throughout the postseason is still very questionable. So we'll, we'll just see what else happens. But I think Fournette can help a ton assuming he's back next week and tyler johnson yeah, i think was snowflake emoji in dfs by the way that was lots of snowflakes in your lineup I know. I, well hey i mean you gotta gotta save money somewhere and i went to tyler johnson yeah and i got the old snowflake emoji yeah i think it does create downside risk for the offense because like you just can't really go to tyler johnson uh like it's just not really a viable option for brady uh he needs evans he needs gronk but i feel better about the Tampa Bay offense after this week than I did going into it. I mean, I'm not like completely sold there. There's obviously like a lot of downside risk if, if he, the connection with Evans and Gronk isn't there or the defense is taking that away, but they were doing stuff with Evans. Like they're kind of using him on those Deontay Johnson routes at, at points where he's literally just standing there and they hit him, you know, <laughs> they're just like finding way they have. Yeah. creative is a strong word for that type of play, but the they are making route. sure. Yeah, (laughs) you stand there and I'll throw it to you. Uh, But they are making sure to get Evans involved in ways that weren't a priority when they had more pass catchers, which, you know, makes sense. But they they understand the situation that they're in and they're they're trying to feed Evans. And I think Fournette will help as well. But Keyshawn Vaughn, I thought, looked pretty good. I thought Giovanni Menard looked looked solid. Like if Fournette misses another game, I don't think they're in like deep trouble. Uh, Certainly Fournette would help a lot with uh, some of the shorter passing stuff. But uh, I don't know. I thought the the run game, the kind of the Tampa Bay running back position looked fine without Fournette and Rojo, which, you know, we hadn't really seen much from Vaughn and Bernard had not looked great before, you know, leaving with an injury. So I, I, I feel somewhat encouraged about Tampa Bay. Obviously, it could kind of all crumble because you don't have Goblin and, and Antonio Brown. And the issue would be if they have to play the Rams uh, because then you're forced to take on that pass rush with perhaps injured mm-hmm. offensive linemen. So that'd be my concern here for tomorrow night, for Monday night. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Whatever job you need to do out there, grab the right tool to get it done. The new F-150 with an available hybrid engine and up to 7.2 kilowatts of pro power on board to power things on the go. 
It's not a tool you'll hang in a tool shed, but you can certainly use it to build one. The new 2024 Ford F-150. Tough this smart can only be called F-150. Available starting early 2024. Optional features the owner's manual for important operating instructions. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. The NFL playoffs are here, and NBC Sports Edge Plus is giving you a special offer. Get 15% off an Edge Plus annual subscription throughout the playoffs when you use promo code PLAYOFF15. Get every tool for every game at one low price. It's easier than ever to play and wager with confidence when you have NBC Sports Edge Plus. We're on to the divisional round, and the NBC Sports Predictor app powered by PointsBet has you covered with Sunday Night 7 by giving you a chance to win $1 million. So download today from your app store or visit NBCSports.com slash predictor for more information. As referenced in the lead to the show, Cowboys 49ers, I felt like it was one of the more surreal games you'll ever see. The 49ers hang on 23 to 17 in Dallas after jumping out to a 13 to nothing lead. Pat, I think you said it best uh, with the Cowboys where I totally actually forgot what I was going to quote what you said about the Cowboys. Uh, so that's not good at all. Um, but it was just, I, I have nothing to say about this game. I have, I feel like it turned my brain into mush and just what Patrick Crane, you covered this game. Did we witness between the Dallas Cowboys and the San Francisco 49ers? Cause because I, I don't know. I frankly do not know what we witnessed. When I was previewing this game, I thought that, you know, you could go one of two ways and that both teams had potentially pretty different ideas of the way that they would like it to go. And we knew what the 49ers for sure wanted to do. They're a very run-heavy team. They wanted to limit Jimmy Garoppolo's passing attempts, have him play a game manager role, go super run-heavy, play slow. They play very slow and control this game on the ground. The Cowboys at times have been quite pass heavy. They're a fast paced team. I thought there was another way where this game could go where they push the pace. They know that kind of like what the Bills did to the Patriots. They say, we know the one way that you can win. We're going to push you off of that. And what happened was the 49ers got the ball first. They go right down the field and they score. And they're set up to be in the exact right script for them. The Cowboys never – now, Dak Prescott was under pressure throughout the game. They had trouble getting stuff going through the air. But they continued to try to get Ezekiel Elliott going on the ground. They continued to play this very conservative style. Like It honestly felt like the Cowboys didn't know the score for a large portion of this game in, in, into the end of the game where they have a, a situation where they need to conserve as much time as possible. They convert a fourth down, and then they leave their special teams out on the field to see if that the 49ers was. will burn a timeout, which that who was. cares? You don't need the 40. The 49ers could have 10 timeouts. It wouldn't matter. You're down. You're trying to conserve time. <laughs> they ran time off the clock. Shanahan's just looking at him like, what, what the heck are you doing? Doesn't budge, just leaves his guys out there. And then Dallas has to run their offense out on the field, doesn't have enough time, and takes a delay a game penalty, setting themselves back and losing time. I mean, just like pure madness where just situational awareness you talk about with Vrabel, the exact opposite of that. Yes. 
That so, was the worst play I'd, I'd seen all season until Dak Prescott spiked it. <laughs> well, we'll, we'll have to get – well, I guess we, I should just say to close the game in a Hail Mary situation, and they, they had gotten such a nice drive down the field, getting out of bounds. They set themselves up. They, I think there's like 14 seconds left, and they have the potential to uh, get a couple plays of Hail Mary, and instead Dak Prescott runs up the middle and slides. They do not have a timeout. He gets to the line to spike it. There's just no chance that they're going to get up. They're now blaming, you know, the umpire because the umpire was slow and setting the ball and everything. But the the call, the play call, the execution of that play was insanity. I mean, it's just it's just crazy that that's how they insanity. ended the game. And it, and it just kind of continued the picture of a team that was sort of unaware of like the situation that they had been put in for the entire game. They never played with the urgency that they should have. They never realized that the 49ers had them where they wanted them from the opening drive. Dangle, I, I want your thoughts. I mean, I remembered what Crane said it best when he said the Cowboys slid into the postseason. I wish I had remembered that when I was introing the game and not just now. But, uh, yeah, John, I mean, first off, do you have any residual Cowboys fandom or not? How did, how did you hold up through this game? There were many arguments with Silva throughout the week where I told him this is a terrible matchup. And he told me to stop being a fan. And uh, I tried telling him, I'm not a fan. I'm just explaining this is a terrible matchup. Uh, we talked about on the preview show how the Cowboys had allowed 4.3 yards per carry to opposing running backs this year. And when we look back in hindsight, it was against the league's second easiest schedule of opposing rushing offenses, which tells you the 49ers were going to have success on the ground. And then to open it, like Corrine said, with a seven-play, 75-yard drive and just go down and score with ease, you kind of knew how the game was going to go from there. Yes, they came back from being down 23-7, but also Nick Bosa got injured. Fred Warner got injured, and that's when the Cowboys really started moving the ball. Otherwise, they were just lifeless. Uh, 49ers defense also generated a season-high 22 team pressures, 45% of Dak's dropbacks in this game. And as we know, over the second half of the season, not only for the calf injury, but when the Cowboys passing game struggled, which is pretty much every week, uh, it was because Dak was under pressure. And so everything, nothing went right, went wrong. It was a complete disaster. And it pretty much ended exactly as you would expect. Cowboys fans will tell you it's because the official got in their way. But how about you just don't run a quarterback Mm -hmm. sneak with 14 seconds left with no timeouts? Sometimes it's literally that simple. And so I believe I mentioned it several times throughout the year as well that, you know, betting Cowboys futures is literally just burning money because in the playoffs, these things comes down to in-game coaching decisions and decisions like this, decisions for punts. Decisions for field goals to make a two-score game a two-score game. The quarterback sneak decision. These all things that come back to haunt you in the postseason because poor coaching usually doesn't escape. And as we see, again, poor coaching does not escape the Cowboys. Uh, We'll have to see what they do in the offseason. I would imagine the way this organization runs, Mike McCarthy's not gone. Uh, Remember, they held on to Jason Garrett for a decade, literally a decade. Uh, They're in no rush here. And so I would think he comes back. And more importantly, with Zeke still being – what, what he still owed on his contract, I think Zeke comes back, back for one more year too. Yeah. He'll be uh, back. I can't get rid of I don't, him. I don't want to say – well, see, I don't want to say that because, you know, we said that about David Johnson, Matthew Stafford. Like, there are big contracts just in the past calendar. The Rams year. can't get rid of Ty Gurley's contract. Te- teams got out of. Uh, and Todd Gurley, they just cut him and just took on the dead money for a year. They're like, screw this. $30 million of dead cap is better than having Todd Gurley in this roster. No, so I don't like- want to say it's impossible, but I also know how this organization works. They're going to keep it. They were They're like literally like, got a story of this offseason. They're absolutely going to keep them. Rams did like not even want to look at Todd Gurley's face. That was like really hardcore <laughs> what they did to him. 
But I mean, you if you, you don't of, want to look at Jerry Jones's face, don't look at the post game interview, by the way, because uh, <laughs> that is a man that inched one inch closer, one inch closer. <laughs> he is well, not happy. A joker owner. The weird thing about the Ezekiel Elliott stuff is, I mean, it does feel a little bit like the Todd Gurley stuff in some ways where, you know, yeah, I think yeah. it's a $30 million cap hit or not cap hit, but dead money, $30 million, I think $18 million cap hit uh, next year. So it's just, there's no way they can move on uh, unless they literally pay a team like a second round pick to take on that contract or something. Ooh, the Brock Osweiler uh, tax, toxic assets. Exactly. Uh, but in this game, right. You would think that if that's kind of where they were leaning, that they wouldn't have leaned on Ezekiel Elliott here over Tony Pollard. But Tony Pollard had four rushes to Ezekiel Elliott's 12. Tony Pollard only had two targets. Ezekiel Elliott had four. Like they, they seemed clueless to the fact that, you know, Zeke wasn't adding much. And not only just the, the running back rotation, but like first down runs, runs in key situations that then set them up for a quarterback who is under pressure constantly in obvious passing situations. At one point, you know, the, the 49ers are running in three fresh pass rushers for an obvious passing situation. Like, do not set your quarterback up for the defense knowing he's passing when he can't stop getting pressured. And that's what the Cowboys are doing. Just atrocious play calling in that respect. I wrote like a charitable interpretation with Zeke and Pollard. Is this a maybe Pollard wasn't healthy with the plantar fascia issue and they were just trying to limit his Could touches? But, but, but we, we know we, that's not we heard it. today. They just uh, love there was a, well, and there was a report that he has a partially turn, torn PCL. He, uh, so, he, he told me that too. So, yeah, it, right. it is true. And um, I don't know if the coaching staff was aware, but that's what he's apparently been playing through for a little while now. If they were aware, they gave this guy 18 touches against the Eagles backups. <laughs> so I hope they were not. He finished yeah. He finished the year second in snaps among all running backs. Like, he was out there no matter what. That's what you say about Zeke's fantasy season 2021. He was out there. He was out there for, he was the out there for sure. And Daniel, I have an alternate <laughs> take real quick on the McCarthy situation. Remember they fired Wade Phillips essentially so they could keep Jason Garrett. Mm-hmm. So maybe they'll do the same thing with Kellen Moore. It's going to, I would say, I think Kellen Moore becomes a scapegoat. Uh, they let him take on and Dan Quinn. We know Dan Quinn will be gone, but they let Kellen Moore take on a job elsewhere. And then you have Mike McCarthy calling the plays and that's oh, your, that's God. the Cowboys oh, transition in their head saying, well, like now we give him a real chance. Just don't even don't one, even put that out there, man. One thing I do want to say in Zeke's defense, uh, if you didn't see the block that he put on, they had two San Francisco rushers coming, and he there was no blocker for the second free rusher, and he he blocked one San Francisco defender into the other. It was one of the best blocks of the year. Well yeah, that was hellacious. And the excellent Cowboys beat writer Michael Gelkin said that was one reason why he still consistently played over Pollard. Because yeah. of the good old pass pro yeah. is what it always comes down to is the pass pro. It'll be interesting to see where they go because they do have the decision between uh, Michael Gallup, who maybe made it easier with the injury, but Amari Cooper as well. It's a year you can get out of his contract. And so I wonder if they're going to – Cedric gonna... Wilson's a free agent and Dalton yeah. Schultz. So I wonder agent. what they're going to do with their offense. I would imagine they bring Cooper back, uh, maybe allow Gallup to I think they would. He's under contract. Yeah, and they allow Gallup to walk, let him sign a one-year proven deal elsewhere. Uh, but yeah. yeah, it'll just be interesting to see what happens, especially with their play calling. I don't think it's reactionary to say they have to fire Mike McCarthy, man. That's just like he just I don't think it's happening. He's not it. He's just it he's was just bad. Not it. it was, that was about as poorly managed of a game as you will ever see. Remember this: 
is a team that has not made it past the divisional round in 27 years for a reason. Like things don't change because things don't change. Hmm. The one thing with the Cedric Wilson thing, I mean, it's a fairly minor re-signing, but you did see that he just took over the slot role in a way that I don't think was. Feed him, man. I I was saying feed him because I may have had him in some DFS lines. Feed him. (laughs) He had 10 targets today, which was tied for the team high with Amari Cooper. And CeeDee Lamb really struggled in this game. I mean, he it wasn't just that he uh, only had one reception for 21 yards. He did have uh, another play. I think he had two different plays called back in this game. But he also had a really bad drop where he kind of threw the ball up in the air kind of thing. And I also, I, I'm starting to wonder if maybe he's just better suited for the slot when they since the Gallup injury, they've had Wilson playing all the slot snaps basically. And that's that's cost uh, Lamb potentially, you know, something that he might do better than than playing on the outside. So that's something they're also going to have to figure out. Like, do they – Wilson's a pretty solid player, but does it make sense to have a full-time slot receiver and have CeeDee Lamb on the outside, or should they get someone to fill that Gallup role and get CeeDee Lamb back running slot snaps? We'll get way more into this in the preview show this week. So quickly on the 49ers, is Kyle Shanahan still going to be the Packers kryptonite in the divisional round? What, what is our early lean on this situation? Because I feel like this has to be the team – the floor and Rogers like it's just like it's there's like why is it the the why 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 is it the 49ers again? Uh, I already again another number to, as I've apparently become Evan Walters to bet on. Uh, I already took the 49ers plus five. I believe that'll shrink as well. It's Not probably like closer that. to three two and a half. So I think you just take the points and get out of there. Expect it to be a close game. I still like the Packers as we'll explain on the preview show as we dive in more. But overall. Even this game, it was pretty flawless until just like the Super Bowl. Just because he chokes, man, he just chokes. It's literally, it's not just, it's not Shannon. It's it's Garoppolo. It's like when it comes down to Garoppolo making a big play, it is very Carson Wentz. You already know the answer when you put yourself in that situation, and it happened again this game. Yet they escaped this time. And I there, I there, was this, there was weird times too, where like where Kyle Shannon of all people just didn't run the ball. I'm like, dude, like what are you doing? Man? Fourth and one to to yeah. field goal. That was a choke. Uh, that, that was a choke. Yeah. That was a choke. That was bad. Yeah. That was real, real bad. Kyle Shanahan, I mean, because what? They they punted away, too, on uh, on another fourth down, and I think it was 17%. Like, their their odds of winning dropped by 17% based on that one decision. I mean, it was a terrible decision. Well, and, like, uh, the decision at the end where they didn't go for it on fourth down and they drew the penalty, like, there was nothing, like, analytics about that. That was just, like, obvious situational X's and O's football, like, you go for this. The Cowboys have no timeouts. There's like 40 seconds left. You're like already like a little bit past midfield. I think just get the yard. You're one of the best running teams in the NFL and end the game. Like it's not analytics. Like it's just like being it's like a good common football sense. coach. Yeah. It's just common Yeah. And sense. also, and because everything that we hear with kind of that, you know, when people push back on the analytics, generally it's like you don't understand the context. Well, in this case, the context is this is a running team. That's yes. built its its coaching identity is built around essentially like creative run plays that pick up short yardage. Like this is the whole this is the context in which you would go for it. Maybe in other contexts you might not. So to not go for it there was was mind boggling. Uh, you also to the Garoppolo stuff. He had Brandon Ayuk wide open on a third and eleven deep downfield. Yeah. He just missed him so badly on the huge overthrow through high. He also threw. A, a terrible through way high, way overthrow on an interception, uh, which gave the Cowboys life when they were down 23 to 10. So, you know, Garoppolo, I mean, 
it, it was not a good performance at all from Jimmy Garoppolo. Uh, this was really uh, Debo Samuel just had an incredible game just as a, as a rusher and receiver, but more in a, as a rusher in this game. Even uh, he had a 15 yard reception that was on a screen pass, you know, very kind of running back esque. Uh, looked looked fantastic. Elijah Mitchell looked really good as well, but they didn't even really need George Kittle in this game. He was mostly kind of in his his blocking role. But you know, I, I do think that the 49ers and the Cowboy or 49ers and the um and the Packers are both gonna be fine with playing this like let's let it come down to a one score game. And I think yeah, that's a dangerous right. way for the Packers to play the 49ers because the 49ers are built for that. Now they'll probably make a couple head scratching decisions along the way, but <laughs> That, that's how they want this game to go. And if you're the Packers, don't do it. Don't do it. You've got yeah, an no. incredibly efficient quarterback. Don't let them anywhere near you because they'll slow the game down. Packers play incredibly slow. It, I think the Packers got to get away from some of those tendencies and, and try to get you know a, a two-score lead on the 49ers and force them to play a different style. I think I was conflating two Shanny mistakes because there was one time where they didn't go for it, but then the one time – I think maybe I was getting confused by the time – where they did go for it, but then for no reason, it. for no reason, they sent Trent Williams into motion. <laughs> they, for no reason, they did go for it on one, and they got a they got a penalty, a false start penalty. I know there was yeah. one where they didn't go for it, and I was becoming the Joker. And then the one that's where they the did one go, the seventeen yard. Yeah, yeah. And then the one where they did go for it, where they sent him. <laughs> like, why? Why do you don't need to send him it's, into motion? Just it, run the play. It My is God. amazing where. Um, and from this happens, we saw it so much this weekend where like a fourth and one in the fourth in the first quarter, same exact down and distance. For some reason, like all you do is copy and paste that into the final minutes of the fourth quarter and every coach clams up like they have no yeah. idea how to react. It's like you just did this like 30 minutes ago. What is the difference here? They just freak out, man. They all freak out. I tweeted, <laughs> and I believe that Kyle Shannon was literally the only person on planet Earth who thought it was necessary to send Trent Williams into motion on that play. <laughs> like, just run the play, man. And they picked it up so easily, I know. too. It wasn't I know. like the motion I mean, and nothing. Like, what are you doing? The uh, the the forcing the 49ers to try and call a timeout on the punt play was still the worst call. That, that was, that's not even an exaggeration. That was the worst. I mean, that, that was, was pretty great. Because Kareem said – they not only did they get the penalty, like that, those that was time they couldn't get back. Like that was 20 and what seconds. What was the game, right? Yeah, I, the, I know, yeah, you're right, gotta, you're right. Like, we need Mike McCarthy to play some DFS. Your drink has got to tell him about what do you win when you win because what did you, what would you have won? You'd have won a, a team that's way ahead of you, doesn't have another timeout. Who cares? I know, yeah, that that was surreal. That was the worst play of the game. That was the worst play of the game, full of bad plays, just uh. Awful, awful Mike McCarthy. Um, The third final game of Ben Roethlisberger's career Sunday night was a Chiefs romp, 42-21 to from the Chiefs. Uh, The Steelers, I was going to say magical run, but I don't think even Steelers fans thought it was magical, uh, is over. They're (laughs) out of the – certainly didn't. Yeah, no, no. Yeah, Ben Ben Roethlisberger, man, he did not want to be playing. Like, not trying to read too deeply into it, but he was like – he was he was fine. He was at peace with his decision to retire from the NFL. He was pretty pissed off up 7-0 in the second quarter. He's like, we gotta do this again next week. I know, yeah. Like he, 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 he was, was not, pissed off when the Raiders didn't kneel on the ball against the Chargers. It was not and seriously, it was not on the agenda to be in Arrowhead Stadium in mid-January no. for Ben Roethlisberger. So Ben is gone. Most of the rest of the team is gonna be back. I'll just add, are the Steelers an easy fix? For next year is it really just a quarterback or are there offensive line issues 
too deep. They have enough playmakers on defense beyond like TJ Watt and Minka Fitzpatrick. Are the Steelers an easy fix, you think, for 2022? Offensive line issues definitely need to be upgraded, but also whether they keep Matt Cannon as a question, whether they move to more of a motion offense since they have the pieces to do that with uh, and to scheme creatively. That's the thing. And they, they were never allowed to with Ross Berger under center. You have to run the offense one way. Uh, and so it'll just be curious, really, who they get at quarterback. I've seen some beat writers for the Steelers mentioned that they still believe Mason Rudolph is like the best option available in free agency and mm-hmm. draft, which Thanks I guess God. no one has also watched Mason Rudolph play football. So uh, I'll just be curious to see what direction they go with. Cause I can see like a Matt Ryan for sure, just to like replace Rossberger mm-hmm. as a veteran to toss downfield. I don't know though. I, I really don't know what they're going to do under center. Someone tweeted at me Sunday night and it was a, a joke Photoshop, but it was Kirk cousins in a Steelers uniform and it, it hit home. It felt, yeah, it that felt makes real. sense too. It felt very real, Kirk Cousins on the Steelers next year. But, Crane, what do you think? I mean, the Steelers an easy fix, or are they kind of inching towards something that needs to be blown up? I mean, I guess, like, what are we fixing to get to? You know, like, are they going to be, like, a Super real cool. contender? No, they're not an easy fix. Because I think the offensive line is a real issue. And, and the defense was quite good in terms of their pass rush, but their coverage wasn't that good. They're kind of like – they were kind of – a good version of Washington's defense. Like there was a, they were pretty good defense, but they're not like, you know, oh man, if you just had a good quarterback and fix the offensive line, this defense would carry you. I don't think the defense would carry you. It just wouldn't really hinder you. Um, and it'd probably add slightly. So they have the one thing they have is receiving weapons. You know, Deontay Johnson, in some ways, I think might be underrated as a real life player because of the Roethlisberger stuff. Roethlisberger, you know, peppers him with targets. And so, we kind of feel like he's overrated because he, in from a fantasy perspective, he's just kind of this PPR magnet. But the fact that he is the one guy who's kind of constantly getting open is worth something. And maybe a quarterback who could throw downfield a little bit more, he would be like a more true number one option. I think that's at least possible. It's also possible he kind of turns to nothing with Roethlisberger. But there's a range of outcomes there. And Chase Claypool, I think, is a is a very good player. So Juju, Juju Smith-Schuster might be gone. Um, and he certainly yeah. did not have a good year. But those two guys are, are real playmakers, and I think Fryermuth is starting to look like he could be a reasonable number three option on a on a solid offense. But, I mean, you're kind of looking at, like, a, a less gross version of this run. You know, you're looking at a team that feels like it belongs as the seventh seed or as the sixth seed as opposed to a team that's, Almost treating it like a like a burden. <laughs> yeah, they really were. They were burdened by this road trip. Like they were like the very least is put the game in Pittsburgh. Like for the love of God, like, that's kind of their attitude. We'll still lose. <laughs> yeah, like we were, we're gonna lose. We just let us do it in Pittsburgh, please. Uh, Kirk Cousins, yeah, they would have maybe been the sixth seed if they had. They would have been a lot more watchable, but they would have been like yeah. yeah, like the sixth seed if they had Kirk Cousins. So yeah, that's that's gonna be, they're gonna be a really 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 fast age because a team that has as high standards as anyone in the NFL. I, I don't I don't think they're going to enter, even with a new GM, Kevin Colbert moving on, I don't think they're going to go into rebuild mode. So it'll be very interesting to see like what their reload approach is. On, on the other side, quickly, I mean, do the Chiefs, do they finally have enough going on behind Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey? They're getting everyone involved Sunday night. Jarek McKinnon, I mean, just taking over. Michael Hardman making plays again. Demarcus Robinson, Byron Pringle made plays 
some offensive line guy caught a touchdown. I think he's their number four weapon now. So do they have enough going on behind Tyreek and Kelsey, you think, to hang with the Bills and maybe win the AFC for a third straight year? The game started as if they didn't yet again, sort of carrying mm-hmm. over the hangover from week 18, 64 yards in the first quarter. And actually, like we mentioned earlier, trailed 7 nothing with 10 and a half minutes remaining. And then they scored literally six consecutive pe- possessions with a touchdown. Uh, Patrick Mahomes totaled 200 yards and three touchdowns whenever you opened your eyes in the second quarter. And, it's crazy. And he, his five touchdown passes in this game actually came in a 10 and a half minute span. That's it. Uh, Which that, I read was the fastest ever, and like was it NFL history or playoff history? NFL entire league history, the fastest, oh the fastest amount of time. Uh, Aiken to that third quarter against the Raiders, we all vividly remember whenever he wasn't doing anything, and then literally posted 300 yards and multiple <laughs> touchdowns in 15 minutes time, uh, throwing a touchdown in this game to a receiver, running back, tight end, and then a Nick Allegretti, a guard, getting the thick six in, and so <laughs> in a way. Given the explosive plays, because like even Tyreek Hill's touchdown, that was his first touchdown on a go route since week one. And so they were taking more chances. But at the same time, they were the offense that they became after the Bills and Titans beat them down. Uh, because the Chiefs actually gained 270 of their 405 receiving yards after the catch in this one. And that was the second most yards after the catch in a playoff game in the next-gen stats era since NFL started keeping those stats in 2016. Jarrett McKinnon of all players, led the team with 106 yards after the catch in this game. And they used him creatively, uh, almost like what they had dreamed up for CEH, getting him involved in splash plays, getting him involved (laughs) in the goal line. Like, he was their feature back. He looks good. Looks really good. He had 81 yards receiving, touchdown (laughs) through the – I mean, it was – And uh, and so with being a safe offense but then also taking his shots, it's just going to be interesting to see what they do in their backfield – uh, since Daryl Williams was battling a toe injury, but it, that wasn't the reason he stopped playing. He they lined up Nicole Hardman in a wildcat because again they just get bored, and uh, and then he, he Hardman handed it off to Daryl Williams from Wildcat, and Williams fumbled the handoff, and then that was the second quarter. Williams literally didn't play another snap after that. They went straight with McKinnon. That's it. Who eventually outsnapped Derek Gore and Williams by a combined fifty-one to fourteen. And so oh, if we get CEH activated next week, I just wonder what they're going to do since McKinnon did look extremely spry. Yeah, Crane, you think you, th- you think you got enough weapons? We'll, we'll talk about it later this week. Question mark. Put a bow on this the show. Well, I think the connection that Byron Pringle showed with Travis Kelsey is a great sign. You know? <laughs> That's right. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> so, I, no, frankly, I'm, I – yeah, you go. <laughs> well, I was just going to – I think the, the secondary weapons on the Chiefs are pretty poor uh, – I, I'm open to McKinnon being something, but I mean, we've seen enough from Miko Hardman and Byron Pringle, Demarcus Robinson to know that like, they're all kind of good for one of these games, every five games. And maybe they all kind of just had them together. And they're also, we just talked about how the offense didn't really want to be here. I, I don't know how the defense felt, but I, I don't think we should take too much <laughs> away from them beating the Steelers handily here. It's all kind of what we know. Like we know it's really Tyreek Hill, Travis Kelsey and some guys that get a lot of a lot of opportunity on a well quarterback team, but aren't really playmakers. Things are about to get a lot tougher. Bill's defense is a much, much more difficult matchup. I'm not that confident in these secondary weapons. And I think, you know, to that point, if McKinnon is what we saw tonight, that would be a big deal because that would be, you know, any kind of true third weapon in this offense would be a big deal for this team. 
McKenna, I think, is back in your top 20 dynasty running backs, right, Pat? <laughs> and uh, and last we saw these two teams play in week five, I believe it was, Tredavious White was still healthy. So there's a little, yeah. bit, of, there's a little bit of change up on both sides of the ball. So I think this podcast was honestly better than the slate of games, just to be honest. I think we did a pretty good job wasn't hard. tonight. <laughs> we did a pretty good job. Yeah, no, it was a low bar to clear, but we cleared it. Except for when I – I did the classic when I was talking during my uh, 49ers-Cowboys intro. Like, I'm going to keep talking until I remember the line I wanted to say, and then I never remembered it. And so that was You did cool. remember it. You remembered it. I remembered it. Well, yeah, I did this later. I remembered it. But I wanted to remember it while I was talking, and I didn't. And so that was bad. But, yeah, we did great. Thank you so much for staying up, Pat and John, to recap the show for – we hope people on their Monday morning commute. Thank you so much for joining us. I'll be back with Denny Carter on Tuesday. I'll be back with John, Matt, and Denny later in the week for our divisional round preview show. We're going to have great stuff on the website all week. Thanks for listening. We'll catch you later. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.